Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome into the Nightcap here on WGR. Happy Wednesday. It's a little bit of a cloudy day. Very hot. It's going to be very hot. I want to say tomorrow as well. I'm ready for that. It was in the 70s yesterday. I'm ready for, you know, mid-80s degree heat. I'm excited for that. Big day in the NFL. Really, the last two days have been very, very big in the NFL in terms of punishments handed out and what we could be seeing from the NFL potentially in the coming years in terms of how they handle punishment. From now on, if you don't know, the NFL is appealing to Sean Watson's six-game suspension, and now Commissioner Roger Goodell will either hear the appeal himself or he will hand it down to someone else to sort of finalize what's going to happen. Regar- I mean, regardless, truthfully, if Roger Goodell hears it himself or from another per- or to another person, it will be the exact same punishment. And from a number of NFL sources, including Ian Rapport, Adam Schefter, um, Judy Batista, Mike Arafolo, but basically all of them, and everybody, the NFL is seeking an indefinite suspension or potentially just a year-long suspension and just you know 17 games year-long or an indefinite where he will then have to uh, reapply for reinstatement. It's interesting. I think a lot of people were 50-50 on the NFL if they would actually do this or not. It was one of those things where, will the NFL just take the six games, take the blowback initially from the fan populace, but once the game started playing again, did they kind of think, all right, well, we, we've weathered the storm, games are back on, and really we're only going to have to redeal with this when Deshaun Watson's back? Or were they going to, in a sense, force themselves to continue to hear about this, to this continue to be in the news cycle? And they chose the latter, which is interesting from the NFL. Now, I don't want to necessarily get into the bad look of the NFL not doing the same with owners and in the past with other players it's bad i'm not i'm not really defending the NFL on that you know with owners such as Robert Kraft Jerry Jones all that stuff i'm not defending that even Daniel Snyder now and how the fact that he has not been forced to sell the team is is beyond me but i i want to tell myself that with the Deshaun Watson case with the fact that the NFL is appealing it and saying no we have to be better this has to be longer Maybe the NFL is sort of taking a note from baseball. The only good thing I can say from Robert Manfred is that when the stuff about Trevor Bauer came out, without even thinking about it, to your suspension, he wasn't worried about the blowback. He got the details and the evidence that he needed and decided, nope, I don't care that he's a star pitcher in our league. I don't care that he just signed a new deal with a new team and that you know they'll be upset. To your suspension. And he's still serving that. But maybe the NFL now has sort of taken a page out of that book and realized it, it can almost 
only give them good PR if they challenged Judge Sue Robinson's decision on this. And ultimately, I, I want to do go back to that because Sue Robinson, in her 16, 15 or 16-page report on this, basically, two things, didn't believe a word Deshaun Watson had said, and two, was more than okay for him getting more than six games, but said the precedent up to this point had only been six games and didn't think that it potentially could be fair for a player to in a sense, technically not know the punishment they'd be getting for committing a certain crime, either, you know, in public or in terms of just the league's league rules. But even she in her report was more than okay with Deshaun Watson getting more games and had thought about it. But ultimately came that decision because, you know, for lack of a better word, she didn't want to be the person to do it. She, in my opinion, from my reading of it, wants the NFL to grow up and to make their own decisions and to realize you have to be tougher with these. And I think most people agreed with that. The NFL's always been ridiculously lax with their punishments, especially under the Roger Goodell era. I mean, that's the era I know, that's the era I've been born into and have lived my entire life through. But he's been entirely too lax on most punishments that involve other people and not just yourself. Of course, we go back to basically any weed suspension or now gambling with Calvin Ridley, and it always seems far too aggressive. It's always, all right, that's a year for you know gambling $1,500, or you know Josh Gordon has had to you know apply for reinstatement every single year, it feels like, because he can't stay off the weed. I, it, it, you know, whether you agree or disagree with that, it seems really aggressive, especially when you look at players like Tyreek Hill, Ben Roethlisberger, now Deshaun Watson, have had pretty heinous crimes come up against them and crimes that are very, very difficult to prove in the court of law in terms of criminal cases. But, you know, it's it's one of those, and especially with Deshaun Watson, when there's smoke, there's fire. And it's a big smoke cloud. It's a huge smoke cloud. To the point now where basically everyone that's heard this does believe something went wrong. That he is not entirely innocent at all. Anyone that has looked at the documents does not think Deshaun Watson's a good person. But it's incredibly difficult, near impossible at times, to prove it in a criminal court. Or to prove it in a criminal case. But so that's where it's tough for me now, especially when reports came out today going along with this. You know, let's let's first start with, with the Haslam's sort of statement the other night when when it was when it was announced that Deshaun Watson was being suspended six games he's remorseful we understand this may have triggered some people it felt fake it felt like a middle finger to everybody and you know what feels worse now is is the remorseful comment because now reports are coming out I want to say from Josina Anderson and a few others that Deshaun Watson's camp are saying Watson St- believes that he did nothing wrong, that the six games were was too steep, that he has done nothing wrong. So where either there's a disconnect between the, the Browns' ownership and Deshaun Watson, or they're not communicating after the fact of well, how do how do we push this? Because Watson apparently d- believes he doesn't do anything wrong, so how does he feel remorseful? You know, and now he apparently thinks that six games was too much. I won't be surprised now. Now that they've appealed it, the NFL has appealed it, I won't be surprised if they try to drop the hammer. Because Watson has clearly come off as somebody that does not believe he has done a single thing wrong, even when everyone that's looked at this case believes he did. Even if it's not to a criminal case, 
sort of way. But even then, again, we have to remember these cases are nearly impossible to prove. These women would have had to know going into this, there could be something that happens. I have to, you know, have a camera set up in the hotel room, any of this stuff to make sure it's proven. They wouldn't have known that going in, especially let's never forget. Let's never forget the Houston Texans in a sense, allowing this to continue to happen with the non-disclosure agreements. Let's never forget the role the Houston Texans played in this. I know a lot of people now want to say the Cleveland Browns are public enemy number one, and I can get that. But do not forget Houston and the role they played in all this. But it is now interesting of where does Deshaun Watson go in the sense of, is he going to play this year at all because it could be taken to federal court? Well, we'll find out. What's going to be interesting, and the way I think the NFL is going to get this, is Watson was willing to accept the six-game suspension. Which is interesting because, again, apparently his, his camp is saying that Watson still believes he did nothing wrong. So it's interesting that he was willing to accept that six games and not continue to fight that. But that's neither here nor there. But he was willing to accept the six games. So if the NFL, which they will, give him a year suspension, indefinite suspension, will he be able to play this year? Potentially. But I could also see, and that I, I want to say, Correct me if I'm wrong, at Zachary Jones 198 on Twitter. Uh, I am solo, so I, it's tough for me to get the phones during the segment. If you can call me when I'm on a break, that'd be perfect. But if, if I'm wrong on this, you can tweet at me at Zachary Jones 198. But I believe he's going to have to get a restraining order brought on to the, or a temporary restraining order so that he'll be allowed to play, so that this will continue on. Because right now it feels like the NFL can just suspend him, get that, and I don't even know if that would go through, because ultimately he was willing to accept the six-game suspension. So we can take this to federal court, but ultimately you would sit there and just say he was willing to accept that, we're saying it wasn't enough. So I think even if he, even if he fights this in federal court, there's a chance that he maybe only can come back after six games, and then it can be increased. But even then, I just I don't know how I see Deshaun Watson playing it all this year. And everything that comes out, just it, it makes it feel so much uglier, so much worse. Everyone's comments from his camp, from the Browns camp, it just it feels wrong. It's gross. And the world is changing, ultimately. Some people don't want to talk about it, but the Me Too era, right? That's kind of the era, era we're growing or we're, we're now in. The era I've grown up in. This is how I've lived most of my life. So for me, this is something that should be happening in, in the sense of we're becoming better. We're not allowing the same comments, the same things to continue on. Women are speaking out more. It's good. For some people, it's not. And it shouldn't be. I'm not going to feel bad. But my problem is with all of this is it just it almost does feel like there's a disconnect between the Browns and even Watson's camp themselves. Again, the Haslam saying that he feels remorseful, but then coming out later today with you know reporters saying that, you know, Watson has done nothing wrong, going through their sources and saying that Watson has done nothing wrong. We feel as though six games was too steep. Too steep. I I think that's the thing is like it's just it makes no sense to me. This whole thing is gross, it's ugly, and I don't know where it's gonna go. But I do like the fact that the NFL has sort of decided it needs to be better. Because, again, this was all former Judge Sue Robinson's 
point with this was that the precedent up to this point for a nonviolent sexual crime, which that even in and of itself is a bit of a gray area, the nonviolent part, has only been, it's only been six games. That's the highest it's gone. And technically, under in terms of suspensions and all that, Deshaun Watson is a first-time offender in terms of the suspensions. And so I do understand where she has decided I will not be the one to define this. I will not be the one to crack down on this. And I can understand that. I can fully, fully understand that. But for right now, where we're at, it just, it almost feels like the Deshaun Watson thing had to happen. As awful as that sounds, it does feel like the sports world itself, the NFL, had to have something so egregious sounding to make them look themselves in the mirror. And it usually does happen. It usually takes, as awful as it sounds, something truly heinous and awful for people to look themselves in the face. It does typically. And now with a lot of people who are, who are questioning, will the NFL actually truly appeal this? Or will they just bite the bullet and deal with it? They are clearly not just going to deal with it. They are clearly going to fight against it. And it is going to be interesting now to see where this goes. To see if it goes to federal court. To see if, if Deshaun Watson ever plays for the the Cleveland Browns. Personally, I have no idea. If you asked me six months ago, I would have thought he would have gotten an indefinite suspension, especially after the New York Times article. You know, the 76 different masseuses and, 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 all, and, the, and the non-disclosure agreements and all that stuff. I thought there was a chance he was never playing again. But now it's completely up in the air. Completely, completely up in the air. But the NFL has decided they will, in a sense, be the judge, jury, and executioner again. Something they did not want to do for a long time. Or at least now it feels like they didn't want to do. It's why they wanted to bring in an outside party. But that outside party did make them look themselves in the face. I mean, like that's what Sue Robinson really did here. Is, nope, you were too lax. I, I physically can't go over this. Because she would, in her mind, and, and, I, and I fully agree with her, would be overstepping her bounds. In a sense, trying to rewrite the NFL rulebook. So she has made the NFL change. And good on her for that. And good on the NFL for taking the hint. Now, as well, I think this was brought up as well when, uh, when Sal was on with Mike and Bulldog earlier today. You know, was there a potential that public opinion really swayed this a little bit. Made the NFL think, ooh, this could be a big PR moment. Eh, Probably, yeah. I I never look at at big corporations as thinking morally. It's always in terms of, will this make us money? Will this lose us money? And maybe that was something they thought about when they saw how most of the world who watches NFL football wanted Watson to be suspended longer. So maybe maybe that was the final straw. Maybe at first they were like, ugh, I don't know if we want to take this to court. You know, we, we, we want to get this out of the news. But maybe the fact that most of the NFL world thought it was gross. The fact that on the NFL's flagship, flagship station, the NFL Network, where Kyle Brandt kind of snapped a little bit when it came out that he was getting six games. The fact that a lot of employees, I would imagine, probably thought this is gross. This needs to, this needs to be handled better. 
potentially a, a number of things that ultimately led to that. Numerous things that probably led to this decision, especially, I think as well, Watson and his camp refusing the settlement that the NFL laid out for them. I want to say it was 12 games and he was going to be fined $8 million. I think the fact that Watson at every corner has, has, has seemingly made this difficult for the NFL. And he made it difficult for an NFL team in the Houston Texans refusing to play for them and just sitting on their bench. I think a lot of that has been played into this as well. Again, the NFL is all about making money and Deshaun Watson refusing to play last year, still getting paid. That probably didn't warm the hearts of the commission's office, the commissioner himself. Then the fact that every turn the NFL sort of wanted, I think, to get this out of the public eye. 12 games take and take an $8 million fine. No. You know, 17-game suspension, maybe no fine. No. Now it's coming out through some of his party as well that the six games he even thought was too steep. His, his people thought was too steep. That could not have played well with anyone else covering this. It could not have played well in the fact that he actively is fighting every step of the way. And then you add in the fact that the Haslam's you know, their comments the other day of he's remorseful, but you know, the NFL's probably sitting there going, he's clearly not. He's clearly not. Because he thinks he didn't, he didn't do anything wrong. Even though, again, everyone that has looked at this has said, yes, something went bad here. But either in the criminal court case, there just wasn't enough evidence, which as I, I mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago, it's pretty standard for most of these cases. It's Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Very standard. That's why most of them are handled in civil court. As awful as that sounds. There's just a number of things here that have just made it seem like the NFL, I think, as much as they looked at themselves in the face, I do think they were pushed to a breaking point with Watson. I do. And maybe maybe Sue Robinson was maybe one of the final straws of of essentially calling them out in her report, saying that, no, this is the president they sent. They sat. This is, this is what it is. Six games. So that's what it's going to be. Even though she thought it was egregious. And it was larger than any case the NFL had before. And that she didn't believe his testimony. Six games, because that's the precedent you set. It is going to be interesting. And 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 don't get me wrong, I don't like the idea either that Roger Goodell has the power of judge, jury, and executioner. Because yes, he is a voice for the owners, ultimately. Really, the true owner of the NFL is probably Jerry Jones with the Cowboys. Because of how much money they make because they're always on TV, they're always on everything. Jerry Jones is probably the closest thing to the actual owner of the NFL. So I don't love that Roger Goodell now is getting the judge, jury, executioner role with Watson. I would like that to be handled by outside cases. I, I preferred that system. But I do think this needs to happen so that the NFL can actually change a little bit. And maybe the NFLPA... Obviously, we're expecting a counter, or they're going to sue. But maybe now 
there can be change to some of these rules, realizing that, look, there are going to be out, outstanding circumstances that we we can't treat it normally. That Watson will sort of be, you know, we, in, in, in a lesser tone, there's always something there. Like, if you see a sign at an amusement park of, hey, don't climb the ride, you realize, oh, somebody climbed the ride. Or, you know, at, at uh, Disney World and in, in the, in the Epcot Pavilion in Mexico, they have the large pyramid representative of the South American pyramids. And there's a sign, big and bold, of do not climb the pyramid. It's because you know somebody at one time tried to climb the pyramid. But they probably would have had the same response that Watson's camp is likely going to have. We've never, you've never punished somebody for this before. There's nothing saying I can't do this. For Watson, it's going to be, well, th- the precedent was six games. He's a first-time offender. But like with something like that, circumstances do change based on the the level of it. With that, someone climbing the pyramid. Well, yeah, you, you, you cannot do that. Maybe it's not a hard punishment. Maybe it's just them realizing, all right, we got to change rules. But with Watson, it's going to be now, I think, especially because of the money he got, that contract. Because those are reports, too, that the NFL really may hammer down on that, too, because of the contract the Browns gave him. And don't kid yourself, the owners aren't happy about that either. The owners are not happy about that. A fully guaranteed contract for a quarterback? Yeah, I guarantee the Chiefs are thrilled about that. Or uh, the Chargers are thrilled about that. The Bengals are thrilled about that. As, you know, with two of the next quarterbacks up to get paid. I bet they're stoked that they may have to fully guarantee a quarterback's contract. Don't kid yourself. They're furious about that part. Especially for the fact that quarterbacks who've had more success in the NFL in terms of winning and playoff success in Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes do not have fully guaranteed contracts. I mean, what precedent does that set? And, and you never know. Some of these agents and players may just completely ignore the Watson contract. But they may not. And what's an owner going to do? If Herbert, Justin Herbert, goes into, his, goes into his owner's office or GM's office and says, well, Deshaun Watson got a fully guaranteed contract, and let's say this year wins the AFC West wins two playoff games, makes it to the AFC Championship game, and has a MVP season. That's more than Deshaun Watson's ever done. So what's the owner to do now? I mean, that might be the best quarterback the Chargers organization has ever had, and they're just going to let him walk because they can't fully guarantee his contract, all because Deshaun Watson's contract was fully guaranteed? I would not be surprised. And that's, and this is where, again, you know, the owners kind of run the commissioner. I would not be surprised if they fine him heavily just because of that contract. And they do somewhat punish the Browns because the Browns have screwed up the market royally. That's just, And that's just, again, that's on the football side, not even, you know, why we're here in the first place. That's just on the football side. There's a number of reasons why the NFL could want to, to drop the hammer here. And a part of me wants to think it's for the good reason. The good reason of, we need to change. We need to be better. But like I said a few minutes ago, it's a corporation. And it's tough for me to think of a corporation ever doing things in a super moral, moralistic way. It's really tough for me to ever see that. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Hard Knocks is coming back. The Detroit Lions, they're one of my teams that I'm excited to watch this year. And Dan Campbell continues to just make the craziest quotes in the world that has now made me somewhat want to run through a wall for the man. That coming up here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for about another half hour. 
Hard Knocks is coming back, something I routinely like to watch. It's one of, like, the four reasons I have HBO. I always kind of dig it, especially the teams they usually pick. I will tell you, as much as, like, I want good teams to be on it because I'm more interested in the good teams and what they're doing and all that, I totally understand why they don't. But the Detroit Lions are going to be this year's iteration of the HBO show. And Dan Campbell, the Detroit Lions head coach, it's the quotes that man says about his team. I'll share one with you. We'll tread water as long as it takes to bleeping bury you. That's apparently going to be the identity of his team. I just, and especially how they looked last year. Where even though, were they winning a ton of games? No. But it also felt like they weren't really given, I, I guess, really much of a chance anyways. And they just went for it. They finished with three wins, 13 losses, one tie. But they were in a ton of close games. A ton of close games. The Baltimore game, they literally shouldn't have lost. That was the Justin Tucker ridiculously long kick. But even then, Detroit kind of got screwed with the fact that Baltimore had a five-second delay a game and was just never called. And it allowed Lamar Jackson to convert, I want to say, a third down. If not a second down, but I, I want to say it was definitely a long third down. Minnesota, they lose by two points. They obviously tie Pittsburgh. They lose by, to Cleveland by three. They lose to Chicago by two. Lose to Atlanta by four. There was a number of really close games that they had. They just, I, you know, they, they couldn't close the deal. But the team is much better now. And it is genuinely a really solid team. So we'll definitely see, you know, what happens just in terms of the season for the Detroit Lions. I think they're a vastly improved team. I think a lot of people know how I feel about Jamison Williams, one of their two first-round picks. I think he's going to be a stud-wide receiver for him, especially once he gets on the field. Aiden Hutchinson, who they drafted second overall, should be an absolute force on the defensive line. Their O-line itself is already very, very good. So we're going to see what Detroit can do. And they're taking over, you know, this year in a division that seemingly has the potential to be taken advantage of. Minnesota's fine. Green Bay has lost Devontae Adams. Now, again, there was that stat, apparently, that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are actually not bad. If, if anything, they're actually really, really good without Devontae Adams. We'll see how that is throughout an entire season. And the Bears are a tire fire. They're trash. They're not good, even in a little bit. I love Justin Fields, but that team is completely rebuilding with a second-year quarterback, so we'll see what happens there. But I will tell you, I don't like that the Detroit Lions are going to be on hard knocks because typically those teams that wind up on hard knocks don't actually do that well. And so I'm kind of going to be frustrated if I'm seeing this team and I'm clearly kind of falling in love with the team. I already like what they have coming into this year. I don't know if they're necessarily be a playoff team, but they can definitely be a solid team. And in terms of week one games I want to watch, Eagles-Lions might be up there as one of my favorites on that Sunday at one window. Because the Bills will have already played. They play opening night on Thursday. So it'll absolutely be one of those games I want to watch. Just to see, you know, is Jared Goff last year's is his run from last year continuing into this season? Or is he still, you know, not good at all? I'm not a Jared Goff fan in the slightest. I think Detroit is absolutely going to be a team that tries to trade up for a quarterback in this upcoming draft. But we'll see. We will absolutely see. 
but they are going to be a team that almost no one is watching this year. This is going to be by far the most coverage they're going to have all year. Because outside of one game this year, they're at 1 o'clock. Every single game. And the one game they're not at 1 o'clock? Thanksgiving, 12.30 against the Bills. This is going to be the most view everyone is going to have of the Detroit Lions. Every single one of their games are going to be over at 4.30, and you likely won't have watched them. Unless you have Red Zone, NFL season ticket, or you live in Detroit and get those games. No one will likely see them. They'll even be a team that, honestly, if they do make the playoffs, let's say they go 10-7 and and they make the playoffs, that will be a team that most people will have not watched a minute of, of genuine game time. Not talking highlights, I'm talking legitimate game time. A lot of people will not have watched them. Because even with the one primetime game they have, with the again, quote-unquote primetime because it's Thanksgiving, they're not the 4 o'clock window, they're not the 8 o'clock window. They're the 12-31, which is everybody, and everybody does this almost completely forgets that it started when it starts. I can I can tell you every year for the past, I want to say five years, I've gotten ready to go to my aunt and uncle's house. That's where me and my family have Thanksgiving. And every time like we're kind of just hanging out around the house, you know, we're going to leave at like three or whatever because the four o'clock game starts then. We'll have dinner. You know, it's a bunch of chit-chat. And we're hanging around the house. You know, Sometimes my brother's having coffee. He gets up a little bit later. My mom's having coffee. Me and my dad have been up for hours, so we've been doing some stuff. And then out of nowhere, the Detroit Lions game has started. It always feels completely out of nowhere the game has started. Now, it's going to be obviously less so this year. We're, you know, we're Bills fans. We're going to be watching the Bills game. We know that's going to start at 1230. But that's their one moment of truly no other game is on. And it's always a forgotten game, every single time. Every other game they have is at 1 o'clock. They're going to be a completely forgotten about team all year. And to be fair, knowing the coach Dan Campbell is, and the fact that most of the Lions, if not all of them, have completely and utterly bought into his style of coaching, he had a comment about it, too. doesn't matter what time their game starts. If anything, I think he said, too, it's like it's going to be great because they'll have the rest of the day to, to, to chill, to hang out. They don't have to wait. You know for a fact we're going to get a quote, something along those lines, when they're, talking about, when they're talking about the season coming up, the fact that no one will see them, that it will literally just be Detroit seeing them. That'll be it. They are going to be a fascinating team this year. And, and to be honest, it, it does almost feel weird that they have no primetime games coming up this season. Again, outside of their Thanksgiving window. You look at the Jets. Let's go to them as well, because they're not a good team. And then we'll bring up Jacksonville after that. But the Jets are a team that has been a tire fire for years. The last time they made the playoffs, it was that two-in-a-row AFC Championship run with Mark Sanchez and Rex Ryan. They have one game at 4.05 p.m. at Denver Bron- or at the Denver Broncos. So, of course, it's playing into the West Coast Time timeline, but then they also get the Jags on an eight fifteen. I want to say Thursday night football game, and then they get at Seattle another four oh five game. So at least they're going to have a few games. Maybe not because of them. It's not. I mean, Denver and Seattle. They're of course going to be in the four o'clock window, but they'll have at least a few games. Especially if Zach Wilson is popping. Like the Denver Broncos game is week seven. 
if Zach Wilson looks legitimately better, and let's say they, they go 2-2 two and two against the AFC North because that's who they play literally the start of the season is four straight games, AFC North. Let's say they go 2-2. Two and two. They beat Cleveland. Now let's say they beat Pittsburgh. Then they play Miami at and then at Green Bay. So let's say, you know, best case scenario, they're like 3-3 three and three there. You know, the Denver Broncos game is going to be a big one at 4-0-5. Russell Wilson, Zach Wilson probably looks a lot better if they're 3-3. Three and three. That's an exciting game. They can get one of these games flexed later in the season. Miami in Week 18 is a 2-B determined. That can absolutely happen. So Seattle's got, or so, you know, the Jets have got something. And then the Jaguars, they, of course, have that Thursday night game against the Jets. But they at least get, you know, a Wembley game because they're, you know, near, not officially, but near the London Jaguars at this point. They always have one game in London. They get that against the Denver Broncos as well. And then you get a game in Los Angeles against the Chargers at 4.05 in week three, or well early enough to kind of solidify themselves as maybe more than just the lonely Jaguars. But Detroit is the only team that doesn't get anything like that. And in part, you could have sat here and went, man, they maybe should have had one of these games, you know, be a 4.05 game just because, just because, like to give them something else. Effectively, all their games start at 1.00. Because even that 12-31 probably more or less kicks off at 12-40. So, I mean, effectively, all their games start at 1. Maybe Week 18 against the Green Bay Packers. Of course, that's a to-be-determined game. Maybe that's up for the division. Maybe. But you almost feel bad for them because, really and truly, Hard Knocks is going to be the only time the entire country can truly see the, the Detroit Lions. And they could be a team that, by Week 10 is really fascinating. Just just through their first five games. I already mentioned week one. They get Philadelphia at home, and then week two they get Washington at home. They can they can beat both those teams. I really like Philadelphia this year, but if Hertz is not on his game, I could see Philadelphia having a bit of a, in, in, a, in a word, a stinker in week one. They could be one of those teams that just loses week one, ultimately they brush it off, and they continue on. I think Philadelphia can be a 12-win team this year based off their schedule, how little I like their division as a whole. And the fact that they really improved themselves this offseason. Washington, tire fire. Get out of here. I had to read today that apparently Washington, two days in a row, has had great performances on their offense and they're loving Carson Wentz. I'm not, I'm not going to fool myself into Carson Wentz again. I won't do it. At Minnesota. That one, that one to me is a total coin flip. That is a complete coin flip. It's at Minnesota. That's a tough crowd, especially in that stadium. That's a tough crowd. They can do something there. Seattle, worst team in the league. They're going to win. Seattle could be 0-3 going into that game. They'll leave 1-3. At New England, going into their bye week. That's the interesting one. That's the interesting one. I think everyone that's been listening to me for, you know, past few months, in the past few weeks on this show, knows I do not care for the New England Patriots this year at all. I have no faith that they will be anything at all. But if Detroit can win that game, because it's the New England Patriots and because of how their season started, let's say they go into their bye at 4-2. And they leave that at Dallas. Dallas is a routine and perennial disappointment. And somehow they get Dallas at 1. Like, that's a thing, too. It's at Dallas, and it's at 1 p.m. They are getting zero love. 
Detroit can be a, such a fascinating team this year. I think if Goff is just not what his early start of the season was last year, they are going to be a solid, competitive team week in and week out. But I think unlike you know decades past, Detroit I don't I don't think is going to settle for Jared Goff. I think if Goff goes out there and throws twenty five touchdowns, ten picks, thirty eight hundred yards, they'll move off of him. Especially for the talented quarterback class that's coming up, Detroit could be that super interesting team that just is more talented, but clearly just missing a quarterback, and they make a move for a guy, a Will Levis out of Kentucky. C.J. Stroud's going to be gone, I would say, at the first round, at the first overall pick. Seattle, I think, likely gets that pick. Maybe even Atlanta. I, I, either way, both teams need a quarterback. But it could be super interesting where Detroit could be going into that bye week. It's an early bye week, week six. And then they come out and play Dallas. In one of Dallas's few at-home one o'clock games. That could be so interesting to see where that goes. With the Jets, I think the same thing. They're, they have a much tougher run, though, to open the season. Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. That's tough, even if you know Deshaun Watson obviously is not playing for Cleveland. That's still a tough road. Then they get Miami and Green Bay at Denver. I mean, they're, they, if things do not go perfectly for them, they're, they're 0-9 going into their bye week. Because they have Baltimore at Cleveland, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, Miami at Green Bay at Denver, New England at home, Buffalo at home. That can be a rough rough basically just end of the season that's it that's it you're done that feels crazy that that's a fourth place schedule that feels insane to me but i'm someone that does believe zach wilson's going to take a step forward i I genuinely do and i won't be surprised if they take out cleveland and pittsburgh to start the season i won't be surprised at all jacksonville they open up the season with washington that might be a game I genuinely have to watch. That sounds crazy, I know. I might have to watch that. I want to see what Trevor Lawrence looks like, which is a shame coming up tomorrow, which we're almost at exactly 24 hours until that happens, the Hall of Fame game, Jacksonville versus Vegas. It's going to be weird. I'm going to get home after what effectively would be the starters are already out. Do I even watch it? Uh, like, I'm going to, but it's going to be one of those, like, am I going to be forced to watch it? Am I going to be on my phone the entire time kind of, like, not really paying attention? Like, last year, I had, like, a rooting interest in that. I really wanted to see Micah Parsons. And I got to see him for, like, four plays. I'm not even going to see Trevor Lawrence or Travis Etienne for Jacksonville. There's not a shot Derek Carr or Devontae Adams is playing for Vegas. It's going to be a weird game where, like, nah, maybe I, I don't watch this. But then I will, of course. We'll take a quick timeout and we come back. Remembering Vince Scully, I didn't live through a lot of his glory years, you know, some of the iconic calls, but to me, he's still maybe the best broadcaster of all time. He is one of the most iconic voices, and we'll play some of my favorite clips from him when we get back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first, behind the back, it gets through Buckner. If one picture is worth a thousand words, you have seen about a million words. But more than that, you have seen an absolutely bizarre finish to Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. 
Vin Scully during the 1986 World Series with the New York Mets and the Boston Red Sox. That, to me, I think is probably my favorite Vin Scully call. It's not because I don't like the Boston Red Sox. To me, it's just, it's it's very historic. It is a moment that lived in Red Sox infamy, and it somewhat capped off, almost capped off, the Miracle Mets, or I'm not, not the Miracle Mets, but the 1986 New York Mets, who I find is one of the most fascinating teams in all of sports. He's going to be dearly missed at the age of 94. He passed away uh, late last night, and he broadcast for 67 seasons. Mike Schultz brought it up today on the show, too, and I, and I heard him say it, and I fully, completely, and utterly agreed. I cannot imagine myself doing one thing for 67 years. He broadcast for the Dodgers when they were in Brooklyn still. I mean, that's crazy to me. I've watched Ken Burns' baseball, and I, I mean, the Brooklyn Dodgers are nearly the main character of, you know, three or four of those episodes of just, you know, the years they had and the fact that they were somewhat the the New York Yankees' little brother. But man, like 67 seasons he did that for. Unbelievable. Unbelievable legacy and truly one of the greatest voices in all of sports. Some other weird news that I saw today. You may have heard it yesterday if you were listening to the show on the Bulldog. Uh, a Batgirl movie that was supposed to come out on HBO Max and in theaters uh, completely canned. It was not almost done but it was clearly like i mean like they had a pretty good cast one of which was michael keaton he was going to be returning as batman as sort of a another universe type deal he's going to also be in the flash movie or at least we'll see if that happens uh sort of with the dc's kind of weird continuity that they're doing with everything and bringing in i guess their own version of the multiverse which is what marvel is doing right now on on disney plus and in their movies something interesting though that came out today during the show was that hbo max it's sort of a not a spinoff of HBO, but essentially it's, you know, their secondary program is expected to cut 70% of their staff and essentially completely cut, you know, newly scripted shows, which is going to be very, very interesting how that turns out. I am some way that I, you know, I mentioned that I watch hard knocks on HBO, but yeah, I I do like other HBO shows. Namely, uh, I have one coming out house of the dragon, the game of Thrones prequel that I think should be interesting, but that is actually coming out on HBO max. I imagine, you know, with with the amount of money they put into that show, it'll go to HBO. But it is, you know, a shame to see that HBO has always been a a studio that is not afraid to spend money. They're not afraid to spend money to make quality television. But potentially that has, you know, the chicken has come home to roost in that sense. So definitely going to be interesting. Something I'm going to absolutely keep up on just in terms of all that, because uh, very recently as well in more of the news aspect, uh, CNN Plus uh, essentially went under after they really put in a ton of money on both marketing, people they brought in and stuff like that. They went under incredibly quickly. So maybe it's stuff like this where, you know, parent companies trying to essentially, you know, venture out into deeper streaming services and stuff like that just is not, it's not going to cut it. People are just not willing to go over. And we're seeing that in sports as well of potentially a ton of streaming services just to watch games, you know, based on, you know, potentially with HBO Max, with CNN Plus. Maybe fans just aren't willing to do that. Maybe fans are like, no, I always got these games for free. Why would that change now? That's going to do it here on the Nightcap. I'll be back tomorrow with Showing the Bulldogs starting at 3. And, of course, back here tomorrow at 7 as we break down the rest of the sports world and head into the NFL season with the Hall of Fame game starting tomorrow at 8 p.m. It'll end right after the show tomorrow. So thanks for listening here on the Nightcap on WGR.